Good morning. Uh, you may want to be open again to Romans chapter 12. We will be looking at that in a moment. Um, the subject for this morning is money. Now, whatever went through your head will tell you where you are with regard to the subject of money. If what you thought to yourself was, wow, that's great. I want to hear all those tips on how to retire early and save money and get out of debt and manage my credit cards. That'll tell you you're in deep trouble because I don't know. Um, if, you're, if your response was something on the order of, well, I can check out of this one, that'll tell you something else. And if your response basically was, why did I get up this morning for this? All the church ever talks about is money. You've never heard that? I hear it all the time. About 15 years ago when we were uh, uh, in the gymnasium, we didn't have any of the uh, other buildings here on the property, uh, so we had to have our Wednesday night services in the gym, and so we were there for Wednesday night, and uh, happened to be business meeting night, and uh, there was a person who came in, and uh, they were a visitor. I think it's the kind of person, maybe from the South, whatever, but um, who thought that, wow, I should be in church on Wednesday night. Hint! Anyway, they, they thought they should be in um, uh, church on Wednesday night. So this person came in and was a part of our Bible study and shared in our prayer time. They said, well, we're going to have business meeting now. You're welcome to stay. Yeah, yeah, I'll stay. Uh, so uh, we had a visitor for business meeting. And my recollection is that that particular meeting, we voted to spend like $5,000 to buy a new roof for a church in Eastern Europe. I think it was Moldova or Latvia or something like that. Uh, then we also spent $3,000, sent $3,000 to Iraq to buy shoes for children. Uh, we also spent, I think it was $1,000 to um, uh, refurbish a, a cabin at a Christian re retreat center uh, here in Maryland. And by the time we were done with that meeting, we had voted to spend about ten dollars to $12,000 in mission money sent to other places that had need. And after the meeting, this visitor came up to me and said... All you people ever talk about is money. <laughs> I figured you can't win for losing. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just an odd thing. But the church has its reputation that all we're interested in is money. And, uh, and I get that because there's a certain kind of preaching that talks a lot about uh, getting money. You know, the, the idea that, well, if you give a little bit of money to God, he's obligated to give you a lot of money back. You know, sort of that's the deal. And so just give a little bit of seed money, seed faith money to God, and he will bless you and you have a lot of money in return. And, of course, the problem with that, you, I've told you this before, the problem with that is God won't cash the check. But I will. And so if you put my name on it, I'll see that he gets it, okay? And then God has to bless you in those things. And, and it's a great scheme. Uh, at least some people get rich off of that. So, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we have this reputation and this sort of a thing going on where it looks like we talk about money. And some people do too much. And it's a manipulative thing and, and so forth. But you'll notice that I said the subject was money. But that's not what we're going to be talking about. Because in point of fact, money is just a symptom of, of where you are spiritually with respect uh, to Christ. Um, and that's why, as the subject comes up this morning, we, you know, we're going through that list of gifts in Romans chapter 12 where he talks about 
um, the ways in which the uh, grace of God is manifested in your in your life, and we talked about prophecy and teaching and exhortation, you know, things like that. Well, this morning we come to uh, contributing and doing so with generosity. That means we're, you know, money's in the mix there somewhere. So um, just uh, bear with us. I have to let you go eventually, um, you know, but you, you'll survive. This this will be okay. Um, but in point of fact, we have to remember that we're in Romans chapter 12. What does that mean? It means that you have to remember Romans chapters 1 through 11 before you get here. That's why Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God when you contribute to it with generosity. He doesn't say, I, I appeal to your self-interest so that um, you, know, you need more money, you need to get out of debt, you need to pay for college or whatever it is, and therefore you should be generous because God will be more generous back to you. No, he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. I appeal to you because God saw you when you were a sinner and loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. I appeal to you because God's grace is so great that it overcomes our willful disobedience and our, and our desire to be enemies of God. God. God's grace is so magnificent that it overcomes all our failings. And because of the mercy of God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, raised him from the dead, that we might walk in units of life, I appeal to you by this mercy, this grace of God that he's given to you in Jesus Christ. I appeal to you that your whole life becomes a worship service to God, that you present your bodies as a sacrifice, that, that your life is a way to worship God and open by the way, one of the ways you're going to do that is by uh, how you distribute the money God entrusts into your care, how you are as a steward of that money. This is simply one illustration of what it means to live as a living sacrifice to God, uh, giving your reasonable worship, proving what the will of God is, demonstrating that in your life. So that's what we're really after is how do we look more like Jesus? How do we worship the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit? And the subject happens to be money, but the point happens to be Jesus. So if you go home and somebody says, what did he preach on? And you say money, shame on you. If you say he preached on Jesus, hallelujah, because that's, that's what I'm trying for here, okay? And, and be nice to me, you, you know, all that. Okay, so with that sort of as the rolling start, it, you just don't understand this unless you keep in mind it's based on the mercy of God in Christ. You won't get it if you don't know that. So let's pick up in chapter 12. This will be at verse 6. We've read it before. It's just good to have in our minds that having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, our vision is so quickly clouded. Our focus is so easily taken off of the things of Christ. Our attention is so quickly given to other things that we lose uh, an awareness of the things above that you would give to us. Father, so quickly we are dazzled by the lights of the world and we are taken in by the tinkling sounds of advertising. So quickly, Father, we become just like everyone else, living like the world, accepting what the world would say is important. Father, so quickly we fall away. But how grateful I am that you never fall away from us and that your attention is always toward us and that your love and grace is always for us and that, Father, as you have called us 
in your son to yourself for a personal walk and relationship by your grace that you never let go of us and that you call us back. You reprove us. You correct us, Father, that's, that, that, Father, even the painful times of life you turn and use to remind us of our constant and desperate need for, for you and for your presence and your power in our lives. Father, I thank you that you don't leave us alone when we stray from you, but you call us back again and again. Father, we confess our sinfulness to you. We confess in our hearts the particular nature of our sins and pray for your forgiveness that in Christ we might be restored to what we ought to have been all along. Father, that we might be seen for your praise, for your glory, not because of anything within ourselves, but simply because you have proven yourself sovereign in grace, forgiveness, and mercy toward us time and time again. I thank you for that. Let me give you a little history lesson. In 1066 A.D., William of Normandy crossed the English Channel with an army and pulled off the last successful invasion of the English island. Uh, he met the Saxon army at a little place called Sinlac Hill. It's next to the town of Hastings. And there he became William the Conqueror. On Christmas Day, 1066, he was crowned William I, King of England. Now, William spoke French. He was from Normandy, which is like northern France or something. And uh, he uh, uh, brought over, of course, his understanding, his French understanding of what kings were like and how the country should be run. And for generations thereafter, uh, French was the spoken language in the English a palace in the English court. So um, the heavy influence of, of France came into uh, England at that time with William the Conqueror. Now, one of the things he did was he brought a, a custom that, uh, that French kings had, and that was the custom of the forests. Forest is a French word. The Anglo-Saxon word is wood. And so if you say, go into the woods, you would be Saxon. If you said, go into the forest, you'd be French. And the difference between woods and forest is there ain't any. It's, you know, it's just one's French and one's Saxon by derivation, but, um, but that's what he did. Uh, he established the forests, the royal forests. And uh, the idea was that he would claim these, these lands for himself. Now, we think of forests as always having uh, trees in it and things like that. In point of fact, uh, the forests that he claimed... Uh, were just big, large tracts of land, and uh, you might uh, just uh, translate it as game preserves. Uh, he claimed large tracts of land as royal forests so that only he could hunt the game in the forest and only he could use the trees and cut them down and use them for his, his benefit. And so these royal forests became a real popular thing with the kings. At one time, a third of England was declared royal forests. As of today, I think there's only three royal forests left, and I have just exhausted my knowledge of the subject. But if you had lived in a, in a piece of land that was designated royal forest, 
All your life, if you wanted dinner, you just went out the back door and you found some game, a deer or whatever you're shooting, and, and you would shoot it and bring it home and eat it. And that's how you, you fed your family. You just went out and got it. If you needed uh, some lumber to build your house or you needed some wood to make uh, uh, furniture or if you did, needed some wood to uh, light the fire, you just went out and cut down a tree and brought it back and processed it and and there you go. That, that's the way it was. And along comes this French guy, this king, and he says, no, this is royal forest. You no longer can hunt the game here. And you cannot cut down the trees here anymore. They belong to me. And so it was against the law to take anything out of the royal forest. This, by the way, uh, is uh, what stands behind the old Robin Hood of Sherwood Forest thing. Uh, he was in there killing the deer that belonged to the king and giving them to the poor, you know, things like that. Uh, so there, there you are. You can't, you can't use the, the, the trees in the forest. Unless, unless a big wind comes up and a gale blows and all those other things. You know, and, and by an act of God, the wind blows a tree down. You didn't cut it down. An act of God blew it down. And because of that, then you were allowed to use that tree as long as the wind had, had blown it down. In fact, if the wind made the tree fall, you see where we're going, you got the windfall. You got the, the tree. And so you could take it home now, cut it up, use it for firewood, make furniture, or build your house with it. And here's the thing. When you got this windfall, what you did with it was a good picture, an insight into what your attitude was towards your financial condition. Did you take it, cut it up for firewood, have a big party and blow it? Or did you take it, cut it up, sell it so you had a little money to pay off your bills? Or did you take it to make some furniture so you could invest it and bring it back and capitalize and, and start a business? How you use that windfall would determine, you know, basically what kind of person you were with regards to finances. That's the way a lot of us are when we get a windfall. By the way, this is still a, a um, principle of law. There are things called windfall profit taxes. That's when the government says it's not fair that, that you made money and we have to take it away from you. Imagine that. <laughs> there are some other aspects of it still in the law as well. But, uh, you know, a lot of you are, are thinking, I wish I had a windfall. Now, if the wind blows a tree down and it falls on your house, you don't want the windfall. And, and that, that has happened. But, uh, but most of us, we want a windfall. That's why you pay attention to the publisher's clearinghouse commercials. Oh, come on, admit it, you do, don't you? Yeah. You can win a million dollars a day for life. I don't, you know, whatever it is, it's some astronomical sum of, sum of money, and you'll be set for life. You know, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I could do that. And I know what you're thinking to yourself. If I won that... I would give some of it to the church. You know why you're saying that? You're trying to buy God off. <laughs> you're, try, you're trying to get God to milk the system because he doesn't have enough money, and so he needs the publishers clearing us. By the way, do you know what the odds are of winning that thing? One in six billion. One in six billion. Your chances of getting hit by lightning are 240,000 times greater than of winning that publisher's clearinghouse. But nonetheless, we dream about it and we say, if only I had the money, because we think money is going to solve our problem, and it won't. It'll magnify the problem. If you're responsible, it'll magnify your responsibility. But just getting a windfall isn't going to change anything. It'll just bring out who you are with respect to money all along. 
You know, Jesus had things to say about money of various sorts. He said, you know, don't be concerned about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Your Father in heaven, he knows you need those things. He'll take care of you. Uh, sufficient for the day. You know, just, just go on and trust God for those kinds of things. One of the things Jesus said about money, though, was this. He said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to hate the one and love the other. Whatever it is, you're going to have a favorite. You cannot serve two masters. And then he went on to say, and you cannot serve God and money. He did not say you shouldn't serve God and money. He didn't say it's hard to serve God and money. He said you can't. They are mutually exclusive. If God is sovereign in your life, money cannot be sovereign in your life. We spend so much of our time trying to get money and, and thinking that financial security is somehow going to, to guarantee our lives and our worth and our value and our success and so forth, when in point of fact what we really need is to be focused on our Father in heaven, His glory through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and have our eyes fixed on God. That's why Jesus said, look, if you're going to save up stuff, don't save it up here. Don't store up treasures on earth where moths can eat it and rust can corrupt it and where the IRS can take it away. It says, lay up treasures in heaven. That is, you know, just give your life, give every resource of your life to the sovereignty of God. You cannot serve money and God at the same time. It's one or the other. And you can't mix the two. That's what Jesus said. And so this morning, what I want for us to do is to understand that that's what Paul is getting at when he's talking about a gift of contributing that is to be done with generosity. He's talking about using resources that we have for the privilege of supporting the work of the kingdom and doing so without calculation, without manipulation, but do so generously, giving in such a way that it reflects our total reliance upon the Father. Now, Paul had that attitude in his own life. He reflects that. If you turn with me over to um, Philippians chapter 4, in the uh, book of Philippians, Paul, one of the things he's doing is he's, he's sort of thanking the Philippian Christians for a gift that they had sent him. Paul was in prison in Rome, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was in prison, and the Philippian Christians had taken up a collection, as they had done in the past, and they sent some money to Paul so he'd have uh, some funds to finance his ministry and take care of his daily needs. They'd sent it by a man named Epaphroditus, and uh, Paul, in the conclusion of the letter, he says, by the way, I want to thank you for that gift. But here's how he phrases it. This is verse 10, Philippians 4.10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. He said, I'm, I'm glad to see this, but it's not because I needed it. See, sometimes I, I think we misunderstand. You, you know, it, you get the impression that the only reason to give, the only reason to contribute to the to the work of, of the body of Christ. The only reason is because somehow Jesus needs the money. Jesus doesn't need the money. He does right well without us. Thank you very much. The reason we need to give is so we can be set free from ourselves. Set free from, from our selfishness and our self-centeredness. Paul says, I'm so thankful to see you giving. And it's not because I have the need. He says, God's going to take care of that. That's what he says very next. He says, not that I'm speaking because of the need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Most of us say, hey, yeah, I've got that covered, at least half of it. I know how to live in abundance. No, you don't. You think you know how to li- live in abundance, but you squander it. You just overextend yourself. I know that for a fact because some of you are overextended and you live in abundance. Everybody in this room lives in abundance. I mean, compared to the vast majority of human beings on the planet Earth, we are filthy rich in this room. By the way, do you know what the per capita income is in Charles County? Per capita, 37377 something like that. Over $37,000 a piece. Look at the person next to you and ask them why they can't loan you a 20. Uh, <laughs> the, average, the average household income in the United States is $53,000. The average household income in Charles County is $93,000. Some of you are pulling down the average, by the way. You know, you need to work on it. But we think we know how to live in abundance when in point of fact we don't. We know how to waste a lot of money. And we know how to to just spend our our resources in frivolous, meaningless, temporal things. But Paul said, I know how to live in abundance. I think by that he meant when I live in abundance, I'm not counting on it. I'm not defined by it. I'm not relying on it. I'm letting God use it in my life. But when I have an abundance, I don't feel like I've arrived. I just feel like I need to turn to God more and find more guidance. So he said, I know how to live in abundance. He says, I know how to live in poverty. Some of you think you're doing that, but you're not. But, you know, most of it's of our own making. We, we generate these things ourselves. But Paul says, I've learned the secret. And here is the secret. He realized that money is not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. And it's not about what I have and who I am. It's about who Jesus is and what belongs to him. It's all about the sovereignty of God in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, no matter what the circumstance, rich, poor, abundance, a lack, need, whatever it is, says, I know how to get along. And not only that, he says, I am content within myself. The, the, uh, the Greek word used there, it's, it's kind of an odd word. It, it almost means I am satisfied within myself. I'm self-satisfied. And when Paul says that, it's not that, oh, I'm satisfied with Paul. He says, I'm satisfied with Jesus in Paul. So he says, I'm satisfied and I'm content no matter what. And then he says, in verse 13, this is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse is not about playing football. This verse is not what you use in order to inspire yourself so that you can throw the pass better or block better or run better. This is not the verse you bring up when you've got to hit a free throw at the end of the game. This is not the verse you use when you have some big obstacle in front of you and you just need to buck up and and encourage yourself. This is a verse about the fact that I can do all things through Christ, including surrender my finances and my money and my resources totally and entirely to Him. It means you can do this. There's a verse about money. There are other verses about all things are possible with God. But if you're going to quote Philippians 4.13 and write it on your eye black, understand it's about surrendering your resources to Christ for the glory of the Father. That's what it's about. And it means you really can do some things. You really can save money. It really means you really can delay that gratification. It really means you don't have to buy the latest and the greatest. It really means that you can provide for your family. It really means you can do all the things that God says you should do with your money. You can do those things. Why? Because Christ is in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And the grace of God is working in you. So that's what Paul's getting at. He says, look, 
look, I'm, I'm just so glad you gave me the money. But what I'm even gladder about, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm gladder about it, is that you've discovered that you don't need it. And you're not defined by it. And you see your resources as a way to honor and glorify the Father. He says, that's what pleases me the most. Just uh, reading on very quickly. Well, what he goes on to say is that, uh, thank you, Epaphroditus brought the money and those kinds of things. Um, skip down to verse 19 because time eludes us. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Evidently, giving and generosity and contributing, evidently financial responsibility has to do with the glory of God. Imagine that. Then when God gives you things, when he gives you material goods, when he gives you financial resources, it is for his glory. It turns out that the best way to be financially responsible is to live for the glory of God. It turns out the most practical financial plan you can have is ask the Father, how can he be glorified with what he has given me through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because it's all about the glory of God. And that's why verse 20 ends the paragraph. To God, our God and Father, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what the finances are about. That's why, you know, this sermon has the subject of money, but it's not about money. It's about the sovereignty of God in your life. The glory of God in Christ Jesus in your life. And that everything about your life belongs to the sovereign Lord Jesus and must be surrendered to him and, and, and so that he would work for his glory. That, that's what we're talking about. Now, not everybody gets this. There was, there was a, a guy, and I, I've talked about him before. He, he just sort of haunts me, I think. Um, but he was, he was a, a, a rich guy. He was a ruler, a young man. And the Bible, this is in Mark chapter 10, it says that, that uh, he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom? How, how can I be saved? How, how can I know God for eternity? Jesus said, well, what are the commandments? What, what does the Bible say? And he said, well, it, it's a Ten Commandment thing, you know, the thou shalt. And, and oh, by the way, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's pretty much what it is. And oh, by the way, Jesus, I've done all those things. I've kept the law. I've done everything that God would require of me. Do you know what the Bible says in Mark chapter 10? It says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Now we know that Jesus loves all the little children of the world. We got that. But in the New Testament, it says that Jesus loved his friend Lazarus. He loved the disciple, we presume the apostle John. It says he loved the 12 disciples, says that. He tells them that in the upper room. But there's not a lot of verses about people that, that it says Jesus specifically loved that individual. And so it says Jesus loved him. Because he loved him so much, he couldn't leave him where he was. He was a successful man, a wealthy man, a, a ruler, a man to be admired, a head and shoulders in accomplishments over everyone else. And Jesus loved him so much, he couldn't leave him there. And so he said, there's just one thing you're lacking. Just one thing. And here it is. Go and sell all that you have. Get rid of every dime. Give it to the poor. Then follow me. And the reason Jesus said that was because as long as this rich young ruler had riches to rely on, his devotion to Christ would be hampered and hindered. And Jesus loved him too much to leave him there. 
I mean, that's, that's why this, the, the offering time is so important. It's, it's not to raise funds. Um, you know, there, there are other mechanisms to raise funds if you want to be a yard sale. No. There isn't a yard sale. We don't need a yard sale. It is so you can be set free from the crude materialism of our culture. So you won't be a slave any longer to our society that says you've got to have stuff and more stuff and more stuff. It's so that you won't be enslaved to a world that says unless you have the latest gadget and, and, and you're, you're in with a crowd that is, all has the latest fad uh, possession that, that you're worthless. I want you to be set free from relying upon a culture and a world that doesn't know or love Christ. I want you to be set free from that world and be set free to Christ. And if that means giving everything away, hallelujah, let's do it. If that means being responsible stewards and just giving away in a, in a sort of a hilarious kind of generosity, let's do it. But let's make sure that all of our resources are given to the sovereignty of God through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit so that God would be glorified in what we have. That's what I want for you. I want you to be free of the materialism that is crushing your life. I want you to be free of the idea that, that you've got to be constantly spending money and doing things and buying stuff. And then you wonder why you're cranky all the time. It's because the bills are you're in over your head. I mean, there's, there's a lot of simple ways to get out of that, you know, practical things to do and find. Find a brother or sister in Christ who knows those things better than I do and ask for their advice on it. But, but first have that commitment. Jesus has got to be everything. He's got to be absolutely all in all. In our lives. And so, according to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, as you present yourself to God as a living, worshiping sacrifice to Him, doing the will of God, proving and demonstrating what the will of God is, according to the grace of God that has been given to you, exercise that grace, exercise faith in Christ. And one of the things that means is that as God calls you to contribute, give generously, give, give to just all kinds of things so you'd be set free from that money. And set free from that materialism. I like to give you a challenge at the end of each uh, uh, of, our, of our time together, each, each morning that we're together. And I tried to think of what this would look at. I'm, it looked like I'm not really sure. The, the other day I asked you to be generous in tipping uh, the wait staff. Um, I too have a story. I went to a restaurant where I always, always, always get good service. And I was sitting there and I was eating with my friend. And even there down on the farm, it was just as... <laughs> It was the worst service I've ever had in my entire life. She was sullen. She was uh, ignoring us. For the first time in my life, I drank a whole glass of water without it being filled. I mean, it was the worst, worst service I ever had. And so I told my friend, because he was paying for it, I said, I said, you need to be generous. <laughs> but maybe for this week. I want you to do this. I want you to take a $20 bill. For some of you, that's too much. Some of you, it should be a $10 bill. For others of you, it should be a $50 or $100 bill. But I want you to take something that you're looking and said, man, I could really use that this week. I want you to take it. I want you to put it in an envelope. And I want you to put it someplace where you'll see it. And I don't want you to use it. Every day, I want you to look at that $20 bill and say, you know, I didn't need it yesterday. God took care of me. And then at the end of the week, I want you to look at that $20 bill and say, you know, I didn't need that $20. God took care of me. Now, we could keep going on and on like uh, on that, but here's the basic thing. I want you to come to understand you don't need everything you've got. 
And you don't need everything you get. You really can give it away. At the end of the way, take, take that $10 or $20, whatever it is, take it and just give it away. Find a cause, find a person, find some homeless person who's going to, you know, waste it. I don't care. Just, just give it away. Don't give it to this church, by the way. That doesn't count because that's not the point. The point is I want you to be hilarious. Give it to another church if you like. You know, but I want you to be just hilarious in your generosity and just give it away. Because for a week you didn't need it. Why not give it away and be set free from materialism because of the grace of God in Christ? Okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I do thank you that you supply our every need, that there's um, no um, aspect of our lives that you haven't taken care of and that you supply all the resources that we, that we require. Father, I pray you give us the courage of faith to, to completely rely upon you, to trust you. Uh, Father, that we would do things the world just would never do, but we would do them because of your grace toward us. And so, Father, I pray that in our finances, in our possessions, in our stewardship, that you would receive praise, honor, and glory, all because of Jesus and because of the power of your name. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.